Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back today and uh, ready to study the Bible with us. And that's what Toby and I are ready to do is try to find answers to all of your questions. Uh, if you're a first-time viewer, the phone number and the website at the bottom of the screen are how you get in touch with us. You direct the program. You tell us what we're going to talk about, and we try to answer as many questions as we can each week. We take questions about the Bible, direct questions, and a lot of questions just about biblical principles and what the Bible teaches about this certain topic or whatever. But anything you've got that's Bible-related, we'd like to know about it so we can talk about it on Know Your Bible. Uh, Toby Levering's back this morning. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and studied up and ready to go. And we're going to uh, go as fast as we can once we get started with a question for our viewing audience. So let's give them one first. And uh, there's a church in the New Testament which was in the city of brotherly love. Tell me the name of that church, and we'll uh, give you the name of it at the end of the program. See if you got it right. And I believe Toby drew the first one today, so yep. we'll just let you get rolling there. We have a very honest question this okay. morning. We'll start out. I'm going to do my best to give you an honest answer. Viewer wants to know, is there any New Testament scripture that tells us we don't always have to tell the truth? Well, to be quite honest, I'm not aware of any scripture that gives uh, license to have liberty with the truth. <laughs> and uh, I think there are some characters certainly who took liberty with the truth throughout the ages. But again, as we've said before, just because Scripture points out these stories doesn't mean it's necessarily condoning it. All the Scriptures I know of, in fact, uh, point to the, the need for absolute honesty and truthfulness in all that you do. Let's look at John chapter 8, verse 32, and see what Jesus said about the matter. <clears throat> Uh, he said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And Jesus, if you look throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can see many times he would start with the, with the phrase, I tell you the truth. Uh, he was all about trying to clear up misconceptions of God, misconceptions of who he was, misconceptions about the kingdom and all of that. And so Jesus was very much about the truth. In fact, he sort of uh, chastised some Pharisees and he said, you know, when you, you, when you speak, you, you speak the language of your father, the devil, because he's always, you know, whatever he, whenever he opens his mouth, he's lying. And so we can see clearly that children of God ought to speak the truth and practice the truth. Uh, many teachings on this that go on uh, in the New Testament. Let's look at a few of those on the screen. Uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Christ was truthful. He wanted his followers. He wanted his body, the church, to be a, a group of truth seekers and people who sought out what the truth was. Uh, if, let's see. Uh, first, I think we have Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Uh, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. 
And then the Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are living according to the truth. Now, the world is going to say truth is subjective. It's what you want it to be. It depends on the situation. Uh, God's Word, however, says quite differently. That truth is always objective. It's, you can absolutely know it, and it's true for all people at all times, and that's how God wants us to live. So there's my honest answer about the truth. <laughs> all right. Uh, might have been a question sent in by about a seven or eight-year-old. Yeah, yes. could be. Could be. <laughs> Any wiggle room in yeah, here. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> oh, kids! Kids think like that yep, sometimes. They do. Is there any possibility <laughs> I can? <laughs> All right. The viewer wants to know about the uh, veracity of the New Testament. How do we know the New Testament is real? Is the word they're used? Uh, they probably mean how do we know the New Testament is actually from God, or it's all true, or it's complete, or uh, a lot of topics that we could talk about on this, and uh, that whole broad. A uh, circle of topics is called apologetics. Uh, if you really want to study this in depth, go to a Christian bookstore or get online and look for an apologetics book. Uh, that's the defense of the Christian faith. Uh, and there are lots of books that defend uh, not only how we got the Bible and who wrote it and how accurate it is, uh, but the fact that it's from God and all that. So you can study this a lot if you want, but I'll give you some very basics. Uh, first, I assume the viewer doesn't want to know uh, the process of getting the New Testament. Uh, who wrote it and how many times it was copied and the translations and all that. That's kind of a different uh, area of apologetics. Uh, let me just tell you overall why we believe the New Testament is from God, uh, why it's really His book. And the first is that it claims to be so. Now I know that we need some other reasons, but let's start there. Second Timothy 3.16, Paul said, All Scripture, that's the Old Testament and the New Testament, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired from God. He breathed it out. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible has everything in it we need. It's God-breathed. And it's useful to teach us and to train us and rebuke us and grow us up. Uh, that's what the Bible itself says it is. Uh, further than that, we look at history. When it talks about history and tells us something happened, it's always accurate. Uh, everything that the Bible, it's a great history book. Nobody's ever disproved anything in it. There's a few things that we haven't found yet maybe. Uh, but every archaeological discovery that relates to something said in the New Testament, the archaeologists say, oh my goodness, the Bible was right. There really was a city like that that really did happen here. So it's always historically accurate, uh, scientifically accurate. The New Testament doesn't have much science in it, but when it talks about a scientific topic, it's always right. And lastly, I'd say we know it's real because it works. It influences people. It changes lives. It has had more effect on this world uh, than any other book or writing or teaching, uh, anything in the history of man. It has changed civilization for the better. So those are some reasons we believe that the New Testament is real or really from God. All right, Toby, a prayer yep. question. Yep. A uh, viewer asked, did Jesus say to pray in your closet so that only God would know? Was this because Satan eavesdrops and could then interfere and somehow bring temptation? Okay, well, Jesus did say uh, 
in one section of scripture to go into your closet or your prayer room and, and pray, uh, but that's not the interpretation as to why he was instructing this. Um, uh, let's look first at where we find this uh, verse of scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount and uh, he hears his area on prayer and he says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. All right, so if we look at this in context, we can see Jesus' teaching on prayer, and he's sort of defining by prayer, defining prayer by defining by what it isn't. And a lot of times in prayer, and even today in the religious world, it's very easy to get caught up in praying for the public, praying for show. Uh, there are certainly times when public prayer is necessary and needed. We have examples uh, of that in Jesus' life and ministry and in the life of the early church. There's nothing wrong with public prayer. It's necessary sometimes. However, uh, private prayer is where the power and the relationship comes with you and God. You know, if your prayer life is your relationship with God and the only time you talk to God is when you're around other people, that's not a very deep, meaningful relationship. Uh, you think about that today. I mean, if you had someone who only wanted to be your friend when other people were around, you wouldn't consider them a very good friend. Well, Jesus is saying much the same way. When you pray, don't just do it to be seen, which is what these Pharisees do. Don't just keep on babbling and using a lot of religious language. Say what you have to say and then sit down. And so he's, he's really sort of correcting public prayer, but also saying, you know, prayer uh, is a personal thing that should flow out of the intimate personal relationship with God and in the heart. Um, I like to use this illustration. I think prayer is kind of like an iceberg. The majority of it is unseen. And of course, there is the top part, which people sometimes see, but the, the, the large strength of it lies underneath. And that's what Jesus is saying. So he, that's exactly what he's saying here. He's not saying anything about Satan eavesdropping or anything like that. So hope that helps. All righty. Thank you. Interesting thing about what yeah. power Satan does have. Yeah. Uh, he's not omnipotent. Right. He's not right. omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not right. divine. He can't be everywhere, right? So he can't hear everything and know everything. Yep. Uh, he finds out a lot of things, but he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's not like God is yeah. what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, I, I thought that question was interesting. I never really thought about Satan eavesdropping, so to speak, <laughs> and how that might work. But uh, And some people take that very literally. They have a prayer closet and they, yeah. you know, that's where they do it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's, you know, Jesus <laughs> is getting to a little more than that. I doubt if Satan really likes to be around much when yeah. God's people are talking <laughs> to him. He, he probably I, finds yeah. other business. Oh, well, let's talk, the, yeah, ahead, I, let, I, let's talk about studying here. <laughs> Free Bible study materials. We've got some and we'd be happy to share them with you. Uh, we've been offering them for ever since we've been on the air and we've had many, many people go through the courses that Know Your Bible offers and they find out that they know their Bible a whole lot better after they've gone through these courses. The first one's on the screen. We show you that every week. There's just eight lessons in it and it's a real good overview of the Bible good basic Bible knowledge. 
and it helps you form a regular habit of Bible study. So we'll send you the first one in that, and you can see how you like it. If you like it, you just keep right on studying. Uh, you never have to pay, even don't even have to buy a stamp. Uh, we'll take care of all of that for you. And then there's more advanced courses beyond this one. So we can keep you studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible study materials. And we hope you take us up on it. Just use that phone number or that website, log on, and tell us you'd like a free course. We'll get it started for you. All right, uh, we talk about uh, spiritual gifts every once in a while on this program. And a lot of people uh, practice tongue speaking and things like that today, and we get asked about it. Uh, and we say that, no, we don't believe that exists today. So this viewer has called in and said, uh, if you are a New Testament church, why don't you believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, we believe we are a New Testament church, and actually we do believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we just don't believe that they're in existence today. We don't believe the Holy Spirit is handing out the miraculous gifts. Uh, kind of like I could say I believe in the Continental Congress. I don't follow its rules. I don't think the America's under those rules today, uh, but I believe it happened, and I believe it was necessary uh, to get this country started. But after the Continental Congress uh, came along, it was imperfect, and we decided we needed something better, so we called a constitutional convention and wrote a constitution. Uh, that works better now, and that's what we follow. Uh, similarly, in the New Testament, to get the church started, to verify this message that was just unbelievable, uh, a man was God, he had been killed on a cross, and he had come back to life, uh, the people that went out to teach that message had the help of the Holy Spirit. He gave them miraculous gifts so they could heal people, get people's attentions. Uh, they could speak in other languages so they could go do mission work. Uh, he gave them what they needed to get the message spread. And then those gifts stopped. And that's why we don't believe they exist is because the Scripture says they were going to stop. 1 Corinthians 13.8 is the verse I've chosen to show you. Uh, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth who had the gifts of the Spirit and they were abusing them. They were not using them properly. They were entertaining themselves with them basically. And the last reason that he tells them that they shouldn't be so excited about spiritual gifts, he says, they're going to stop anyway. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So, Paul's message, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, 14, 15, uh, 12, 13, 14 accurately, uh, he says, don't get so excited about these spiritual gifts. They're going to stop anyway. They're just for a period of time. Uh, and then once things have settled down, the Spirit won't hand them out anymore. So um, that's why we don't believe they're practiced today. I would ask this viewer to think about one thing. Uh, if you base the use of spiritual gifts as a qualifier to be a New Testament church, uh, you will not be able to show me any other New Testament church that used these spiritual gifts. That's just not mentioned. Uh, the only one that's talked about is Corinth, and it's because they were misusing the gifts. But all the rest of the New Testament, all the epistles, all the letter, everything in there, it doesn't even mention them. It was, it was not as big a deal as the current charismatic Pentecostal movement believes spiritual gifts were. Uh, only church in the New Testament mentioned to use them, Corinth. You no, know, I think you make a great point in that 
some viewers that might believe in uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit might view us and say, well, that church doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's just not the case. I mean, we do believe in the Holy Spirit. His presence is real and active and promised to every believer at their baptism. Mm -hmm. But as you say, the, you know, how he acts and how he works and the, the gifts he gives us are different, yeah. far different today. The end of Mark, uh, Jesus, or Mark writes down, the disciples went out and preached everywhere. This is the last verse of Mark. Uh, and worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. And that was the purpose. I mean, it was just to show, hey, these people are real. They're from God with the authority of Christ. And it yep. was, uh, it's different then, but <clears throat> he's still real today. Yep. He confirmed the word with yep. miracles then. And today we confirm the word with the word. With the word. <laughs> so, okay. Yep. yep. You're right. All right, a movie See, review here. Yeah, a uh, person has seen the movie Stigmata and has the question, does God afflict people with the wounds of Christ as in the movie Stigmata? Well, <clears throat> I'm going to fess up here and say I have not seen the movie, so I'm probably not a good person to <laughs> review it. Uh, but I, I think I can be pretty safe to say that God does not. Uh, at least so far as the teachings of the New Testament, we don't hear believers receiving that. I haven't ever personally seen it. Uh, so from personal experience and, and, and just uh, my own reasoning, I don't think that God does. Now, if you're a little uh, clueless on what stigmata is, you've not seen the movie or understand the word, uh, it's a condition where supposedly <clears throat> Uh, marks are left on the body that correspond with the where uh, those left on Jesus' body when he was put on the cross. The nails in the wrist or in the hand and in the feet. Uh, the, the mark on the side where they uh, jab the spear into his side. Um, and it supposedly appear on people who are you know, the select few, the very special, super spiritual people. Um, uh, some research, some people claim that St. Francis of Assisi was the first one to ever have that and that others have experienced it over time. And I'm just telling you from personal experience, I haven't seen that. I'm not going to try to dispute their history or anything, but uh, that's my answer anyway. And the Bible doesn't give any mention of this happening or really what, what might the purpose be anyway. Um, we just know that Jesus did die on the cross and that by his wounds, we are healed. Anybody else's wounds don't mean uh, a great deal. So I hope that helps. Very good. Let me top, take just a moment to invite our viewers to visit a Church of Christ near them. This program is provided by the Churches of Christ and a number of different Churches of Christ help keep us on the air. And we appreciate them. And we like to mention a few each week. Today, let me mention a few in uh, Kansas, uh, Central and Western Kansas. Uh, Isabel and Kingman and Mead all have great congregations of the church and uh, are always happy to uh, find have visitors come uh, drop in on them or especially somebody that's watched Know Your Bible since they support the program. So if you live in one of these towns or are passing through one of these towns on a Sunday, drop in and uh, say hi to them. Tell them you watch the program and you appreciate their providing it for you. Maybe you know somebody in one of those towns and uh, didn't know that they provided this program. Let them know that you watch it and that you enjoy it. Uh, they'd appreciate that. Of course, anywhere you live, there's probably a Church of Christ close to you, and we'd invite you to drop in and visit them. If you have any needs, let them know, and uh, they'll uh, try to help you in any way they can. Visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, let's see, I think it's my turn still. Uh, a viewer wants to know about the creation of the earth. Do you really believe the earth was created in six 
24-hour days. Do we really believe that? Now, of course, a lot of people today say, well, it's just a myth, it's a fable, it's a way of telling the story. It's kind of a fairy tale. Uh, it really took God eons of time to create the earth. But when Moses wrote it down, he just told it that way, made it seem like it was six days. Uh, but it really took eons, uh, millions and millions of years. Uh, so this viewer wants to know, well, you really believe six 24-hour days? Uh, my first question would be, well, why not? You know, it's not like God couldn't do it. Uh, we believe God could and can do anything. And if He chose to do it in six 24-hour days, that's fine with me. Uh, but let me give you some reasons, uh, scholarly reasons. Number one, the Hebrew word for day, when it has a number attached, like day one, day six, whatever, it always means a 24-hour day. You go through the whole Bible. That's consistent. That's the way Hebrews used it. Uh, it doesn't represent some huge time period or anything other than a 24-hour day. So when he says day one, he means first 24-hour day. Uh, secondly, it says the evening and the morning. Uh, it specifies that this isn't a, a, an eon with an evening and a morning. This is a day with an evening and a morning. And... Uh, then, uh, yeah, let's look at Scripture. I forgot where I was. Exodus 20, verse 11 is interesting. Uh, over when we're getting the law and all that, the Moses' law says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day. This is the reason for celebrating the Sabbath day in the Old Testament. He, and Moses reiterates, the reason we have one day a week where we rest is because God created in six days and then He rested on the seventh day. Uh, that doesn't make sense if He's really talking about eons and millions of years and all that. Uh, so those are some of the reasons, but the main reason is if God wanted to do it, He chose to do it in six <laughs> days, and that seems completely believable to me. Sometimes I think people just look around and say, man, you know, you, you just look at creation for 30 seconds <laughs> and you just think how amazing and how much it testifies to a creator, which is what Romans 1 says. Mm -hmm. I think they think, well, man, if it were me doing it, this would take billions of years. <laughs> you know, they just can't imagine a God who could put all that together in, in six 24-hour days. Yeah. And, and But he did. I mean, that's just the power of God. And like you say, why couldn't he? <laughs> Well, uh, we won't go into that. We don't have enough yeah. time. But there's a reason people want to make it eons right, so right. they'll be sure. more acceptable to the folks that are so smart in right. science right. and all that. But we'll talk about that some other time. I'll give you an all easy, right, this easy is one. This an easy one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Just give me a description. What does God look like? Um, boy, I don't, man, you talk about a question that I cannot answer. Um, and, and many, and I'm not an artist at all, Many great artists have depicted God, and we've tried to personify Him and put Him in our image, and that's the problem. We can't. He's beyond. The prophet Isaiah said he is, His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. He is so much higher than us, it's even impossible to imagine. And the other part of that is that we're physical beings. We are, you know, we're flesh and blood, uh, bone and tissue, and we live in a physical world. And God does not. God is spirit. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, when he said, God is spirit. 
and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. A lot of times we get so focused on the physical things of this world that we think our creator must be in the same way and he's just simply not. So it's a very large paradigm shift. Um, but he's not a physical being. He's not someone we could see with our physical eyes. And uh, it's just not possible for me to describe him in any way that would even come close. Uh, in fact, anyone that ever had a vision of where even he, where he dwelled was simply overwhelmed, not at even the sight of God, but the sight of where he, uh, where his presence was, they were overwhelmed and just rendered speechless. So we got one more verse in first John chapter four, verse 12, uh, which says it better than I could say it. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So don't know what he looks like, but there's how we can let him be shown to others. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Uh, viewer wants to know about the early Christians selling their possessions. We'll read about that in Acts in just a moment. Uh, but he said, who would be rich enough to be able to buy them. And I'd never thought of uh, questioning that. The story, of course, is from the day after Pentecost or the time after Pentecost when the church started. Uh, the Jews were in Jerusalem from all over the world. They'd come <coughs> for Pentecost. They heard Peter's sermon. 3,000 of them were baptized and became Christians. A lot of them stayed in Jerusalem since they were a part of this new church. And the church grew and more people became Christians. And there were people living there or staying there that live somewhere else. So they ran out of money. Uh, they, kind of, they didn't have credit cards and ATM machines like we do today. So they needed support and the Christians sold some of their possessions so they could support these new Christians. So that's the story. Uh, and this viewer wants to know, well, who bought them? Well, it wasn't a recession. It wasn't a depression. Uh, it was unique to the Christians. They were the ones that needed the money. So there were plenty of people to buy the possessions. Um, just the market economy took care of it, I'm sure. Uh, there's always rich people around to buy things that are being sold at a discount. Uh, and I doubt if what they were selling was all that expensive anyway. Uh, they sold some land and houses and things like that, but there were plenty of people around to buy them. I think more of the story itself is interesting. Let's look at it in Acts chapter 4, uh, because some people take this as a model for communism and say, <clears throat> Christians ought to not have any possessions and share everything in common. Uh, that's not exactly how it worked. Uh, the story says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So from time to time, when there was a need, somebody would sell something. It wasn't the fact that they lived in a commune and nobody had anything. It was just when there was a need, somebody that had something would provide it. So it was a very benevolent society, shall we say. Uh, but... Uh, they took care of each other in that unique time in I, Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever brought this up on the program, but that's how this program started many, many <laughs> years ago. A group of believers, you know, when it was time to put it on the air, you know, they <laughs> yep. gave sacrificially, yep. sold some things, and, and really gave to make it happen. Yep. And, and that's the model that we have in Acts 2. So. Okay, very good point. All right, <clears throat> trivia question for the day. Which New Testament church 
was in the city of brotherly love. If you know what brotherly love means, you got it just right. Philadelphia. Uh, there actually was a city of Philadelphia, and you find that in Revelations 3-7. And uh, that was the church there. We're glad you've been with us today. We're going to invite you to be back with us next week as we answer some more of your questions. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.